Yes, please pray for me. All right, so admittedly, uh, when I uh, was up for first service, I walked up so nervous I could barely stand it. And um, so uh, God gave me the strength to move through it. And uh, so, but now I'm in second service, and I'm amongst my peeps. You know, I'm in my neighborhood, and, you know, and I'm still nervous, but uh, I know you're praying for me. So uh, anyways, I want to tell you a little story um, about something that I have that sits on my desk. Uh, there's a few people that uh, are here today that, uh, you know, they work with me and, uh, and they see this thing every now and then. I don't have much on my desk, but this is one of them. And uh, there's a story behind it. And when I show it to you, you're going to wonder, yeah, well, I hope there's a story behind it because it's pretty bad. Um, there it is, right there. Isn't that a special thing? Now the Bings are clapping back there because <clears throat> they know it's about to come. All right, so this right here is my trophy. This is, uh, this is special to me uh, because it reminds me of a uh, special time. And uh, so I'm going to tell you about it. So we were in our community group. Uh, we, we were blessed. When we got here, we were blessed to be put in a, uh, an awesome community group. And uh, so uh, this one time, we were all over at the Rada's house. And uh, if you've ever been to the Rattas or seen the Rattas house, they have an awesome piece of property, and uh, they got this nice house, and then they got this silo off on the side. It's about 100 feet from the house, and I see everybody laughing over there, so I'm going to try not to look. But, so there's a huge silo, okay? It's about 100 feet, and it's probably 30, 40 feet tall, something like that. So we're all, the kids are out playing, the, the ladies are out something, I don't know. And uh, the guys, well, we're guys. And so we're sitting there, and all of a sudden, Kevin Bing stands up, and he throws a ball and tries to get it in the silo. Okay? This is a long ways. It's, a, it's an impressive throw. And uh, he does pretty well. So pretty soon, again, guys, everybody's throwing. Okay, there's balls flying everywhere, and everybody's doing pretty good. Nobody's making it in. I have not thrown yet. Okay, I want to say that, mainly because I have sat in the chair, and I've said to myself, Neil, you got a tore-up shoulder. Let's face it, you've never been that great at throwing anyways. Don't do this. But everybody's still throwing and still throwing, and I'm a guy. I got to throw. So I stand up and I tell myself, listen, if you're going to throw, you're going to throw one time. That's it. So you're going to give it all you got. All right? So let me build this up for you. I step to the line with a football. And I, if you can envision me pouring the energy into my arm, okay, pouring it in there, I'm psyching myself up, man, you got this. You got this. One throw, one throw. And I hurled this thing as hard as I possibly can. Stop laughing. <laughs> I hurled it as hard as I possibly can. And I'm telling you, the power was amazing. Here's where the problem comes in. 
my release was slightly off. It landed right there. <sighs> so that's me. Now that you know that I fail under pressure, let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, thank you for today. Uh, thank you that you're with us today. Uh, we've felt your presence already. Lord, we ask that you would take this message. Uh, Lord, it's your message. Um, I give it to you, and I just ask, Lord, that you would use me. Um, Lord, take away any words that you don't want me to say, and Lord, would you empower me to say what you have for all of us here today. Lord, thank you for your son. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so let's dive in. We're, we've been in Romans. Uh, Scott has been uh, going through uh, the first couple chapters here. And uh, so I want to, real quickly, we're going to read Romans chapter 3, and we're going to read verses 9 through 20. So if you've got your Bibles with you, or your phones, whatever you got. Um, so Romans chapter 3 and verse 9. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all both Jews and Greeks are under sin, as it is written. None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive the venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. I was very thankful I got the cheery part of the, of the, the chapter. So, um, but yeah, let's talk about this. Now, there's a, uh, there's a big monologue in here, and, uh, and so we're going to kind of jump into that. But um, to do that, I want to clarify what this kind of looks like, okay? So... Um, we have to remember, I guess I, I should have gone back and reviewed um, what we've gone over so far. So um, as far as what we've gone over, Paul has been making a defense for the gospel. And he's saying, who does the gospel really apply to? And he has talked about how the Gentiles in chapter 1, the Gentiles, they're included in this. They need the gospel. They don't get out. They don't get away from the wrath of God. Then... In chapter 2, he brings in the Jews, and he says, you know what, you know, you know I know we, had a, uh, we have a special relationship with God, but you don't get out of, the, uh, out of the wrath of God. You're included in this. So then in chapter 3, it opens up, and if you remember from last week, the subject was, I object. And he goes through all the different objections that the, the Jews we're, we're, uh, we're saying we've got the birthright. We had a deal, God, and God can't judge us. And then finally, God turns sin into good. So that's where we are. And um, so we're going to uh, just kind of set the scene really quick. Um, 
Paul's letter looks very similar to a courtroom, okay? Now, um, how many of you have ever been in a courtroom? Not as a defendant. Just all the hands went down. That was funny. All right. So, um, okay, so we've got a... uh, We've got a courtroom scene, okay? We've got a defendant. Our defendants in this case are the Gentiles and the Jews, and I'm going to dare to say that it's us as well, okay? So when we're looking at this passage and we're going through this, it's really important to lump yourself in this, okay? And really feel the weight of what God's saying in this and what what God is saying through Paul in this, okay? So we're in this courtroom, and Paul is about to start his monologue. Now, what this looks like in our terms is, let's just say my story right here. I'm in my chair, and I'm talking to myself, and I'm saying, Neil, you got this. You're a man. You got muscles. Come on. And what would happen is Paul would come up and go, Neil, you are sadly overweight, out of shape, and you haven't thrown a ball well in years. And that's what it would look like is something along those lines. But here we are. We're in this court. One of the things that uh, I love about uh, good movies is that you not only get the visual of it, but you can feel the intensity of it. You can feel the tension of the scene, right? So let me add some tension for you in this scene. We've got our courtroom. We've got our defendants. We've got, that's us. We've got the prosecutor, Paul, and you know, he's, he's about to get into his monologue. Let me set the tension. A few good men. You guys remember the movie? Some of you do. The rest of you are much, old, much younger than me. So, a few good men, and the, uh, you know, there's that scene where Colonel Jessup walks past uh, Lieutenant Caffrey. He's about to leave the court, and Lieutenant Caffrey says, sit down. I'm not done yet. And then he goes into this massive monologue, which ends with the awesome saying. Does anybody remember it? You can't handle the truth. Exactly. It's an awesome thing. But the thing is, you get this sense, this, just this really big tension in the room. That's what we want to feel as we're going through this, okay? So, Paul, he's speaking this message to us, and he says, None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. How's everybody feeling? Good? All right. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouths is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. This is pretty heavy stuff that he just threw down, and uh, you can feel the weight of that where uh, Paul has just accused, you know, presented the accusations to the, the Gentiles, the Jews, and let's face it, us. And so he's presented this, and what's interesting about this is um, not, not only the uh, being told who you are, which is not real exciting. We don't like to hear that stuff. You know, when people tell you something you don't like about yourself, what's your natural tendency? Back away, okay? You know, maybe just kind of hide in that. 
um, instead of you know coming forward and you know stepping into that at all in some way or another. Now Paul says something interesting that stands out to me in this whole monologue right at the very end. Paul says there is no fear of God before their eyes. Now, fear is an interesting thing. Um, it was one of those ones we could spend a lot of time defining fear and the fear of God because that's a pretty big subject. And I'm just going to take one simple jab at it, and you know, uh, I'm sure that you're going to be able to find a little bit more. But I'm going to take a simple jab at it. And uh, before we do that, we kind of have to define what fear means. All right, so we've got a definition up here. Unpleasant emotion caused by the belief that someone or something is dangerous, likely to cause pain or threat. So then I, I took another step, as I usually do. I hit Google. How many of you guys use Google? I do all the time. And um, not everything is good on there, but you can find some good stuff. And a couple things that I found about fear. Um, if you just type in top fears in America right now, Here's some interesting ones. Public speaking, yeah, believe it or not, it's one of my fears. And, uh, you know, bugs, snakes, and other animals, drowning, blood, needles, claustrophobia, flying, strangers. Th this one I just don't get. Zombies. I just don't get it. But darkness, clowns, and ghosts. Some of you are looking at that list and going, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm there. I'm there on one or two of those. Hopefully it's not zombies. That's just weird, but you're probably on one of these. I mean, we, we kind of keep that fear, and um, so fear is one of those things that, uh, that, um, that we all deal with. In fact, uh, my job, I'm actually a home inspector, and so one of my jobs is I have to get on a ladder every day. It's just one of the things, but what's really ironic is that I'm actually afraid of heights, so uh, it's one of those things I got to get up. It, one time they they asked me to come in here because there was a leak, and so they asked me, they said, hey, there's a scissor lift. Just use the scissor lift, and you can, you know, get up as high as you want. And uh, I thought, well, it's a scissor lift. There's walls around it. I'm, I'll be fine. So I get on the scissor lift, which was kind of fun. I mean, I was driving it around in here. You should have looked at I was like NASCARing around in, the, in here. But I get on the scissor lift, and I'm back in the back, and I'm, I'm up and I'm up, and I'm up, and I get to where I need to be, and I'm like, okay, this is good. And then I moved. And let me tell you something. When you move on a scissor lift, the scissor lift moves exponentially more. And so I'm up there just, to me, it felt like the thing was about, you know, it was wobbling back and forth. It was probably going two inches. But it felt like that to the point where, like, I'm jumping off. And uh, so that's what fear is. You know, fear is is something where, I mean, you just sense this feeling, okay? Well, then when you add in this, this element of fear of God, it's an interesting piece. And I, again, I went to Google and I just typed in, you know, fear of God in the United States. Well, there wasn't an awful lot on fear of God that I could find quickly. And so I just said, who believes in God? You know, how many people actually believe in God? You know, there's 38% of the Americans in the United States, or Americans in the United States. <clears throat> I don't know where else they're going to be, but that's where they are. So, um, anyways, 38% uh, don't believe in God at all. 
So at least 38% of, of people don't fear God. We know that for sure. There's probably a higher number than, of that that um, are, would call themselves Christians and believe in God, but they don't fear Him, at least not to the level that Scripture kind of lays out for us, okay? So let me, uh, let me put a verse up here. It's Luke 12 and 5. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear who, him, him who, after his, he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. That's some pretty heavy stuff. This is a God who has the power to not only kill, but cast into hell. There's a story of um, the king of Hungary, and uh, he was a Christian. And for whatever reasons, he, the, the weight of the fear of God was bearing down on him, and he, he was having a hard time just kind of processing that. And so he called his brother in, and who was happy-go-lucky, didn't really care about much, and said, hey, I'm worried about this. Um, let's talk about it. And he just kind of blew him off. Oh, come on. This is not that big of a deal. And he left. So the king of Hungary, um, that night, sent the executioner to his house and to knock on the door. And so the executioner came, knocked on the door, and the brother, brought the brother in with his hood on and everything, who felt it was his time to die. The executioner only comes for one reason. And so he brings the executioner in, and the brother says to him, how much more would you be afraid if not only the executioner could kill you, but he could cast you into hell. He doesn't have that power, but God does. Now the question is, is why is this piece right here? Right in this court scene where we're just going over all these, you know, you're, you're not doing great stuff. Well, because we're, we're forgetting there's another person in the court. There's the judge. And so the defendants, us, the prosecutor, Paul, and the judge. And this, this judge has the power to not only sentence you to death, but to cast you into hell. This is heavy stuff. And it's not stuff that you want to take lightly. And so Paul continues. And um, so he says, I'm going to present some facts to you. I was thinking on how I could illustrate this. And not that, re not that long ago, my mom sent me a box of my old school stuff from back when I was a little kid. And uh, so she sent me this box. And inside the box were my report cards. And I'm sitting there, I'm going, that's a great illustration. I'm going to use some report cards and kind of show you, you know, what I'm talking about here. So I went down, I grabbed my report card, and I thought, I'm not using that one. So... <laughs> So, I'm going to tell you where my grades stand, and um, you'll, uh, you'll think less of me. <clears throat> so, I'll tell you what I got first. I got an A, and I got an A. I got a B plus. I got an A minus, an A, and a D plus, and another D. All right, so my classes... <laughs> You're going to know which ones I got the A's in. I got 
speech, and I got jazz band, and I got choir. I, I was really putting in hard time at school. Um, I got uh, chemistry and algebra two. So those were some of the classes that I had. So let's talk about the grades. Um, when I got the D, I should tell you this, every time I think I, I was talking about this message through my head, every time I, I was doing that, all I could hear was Tommy Boy. You know, I got a D. I passed. That was me. So, but all the way through my, my school career, um, I was graded. You know, you get an A, you get a B, you get a, a D. And um, the accumulation of all those grades, um, if you did well enough, you got to graduate. And uh, I'm looking around, there's quite a few of you that have graduated, so you must have all done fairly well, probably better than me. And so, but you had to accumulate those grades. And if you didn't, you didn't pass, you stayed. And so there's that. But what happens if we change the rules of our report card and we say, to graduate, you need to get all A's every year, always. And if you get one B plus, you fail. That's pretty heavy too. Does that feel fair? So, let's read uh, verses 19 and 20. Verses 19 and 20. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin." Let's talk about um, the law. The perfect law of God is the, the law that they gave the children of Israel years ago. And so here it is. Now here's where I want to, before we go through this, I want you to really just take a second and realize we're in the courtroom together. Oh, by yourself, really, but we're in this courtroom, okay? And all of these laws are being laid out and they're... You know, Paul's saying, this is the perfect law of God. How you doing? Okay? No other gods. No idols. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. Remember the Sabbath. Honor your father and mother. Do not commit murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't lie. And don't covet. I'm hoping I'm not the only one that has failed absolutely miserably. Pretty sure I'm not. The reality is, there isn't a single one of us that has passed the perfect law of God. And like I said in the beginning, we were kind of joking about it being pretty heavy. Yeah, it is. We are standing before the throne of God. This is the rule. And it has to be kept perfectly. So what do we do with that? 
me tell you a little bit more about what happened with the trophy. So, I made my throw. It landed where it landed. What happened after that is I fell to my knees in disbelief. Okay? Like, oh my goodness, what just happened? And I'm like, well, maybe nobody saw it. I mean, please, Lord. And then I hear the laughter just starting to come. And uh, it's more just starting to come. It was like a roar, really. And I could hear it just building up and building up. And in my head, I'm going, well, uh, I tripped. Must have been that. Yeah, uh, I'm trying to come up with an excuse that I could stand up and legitimately say in front of all these people that just saw this happen, um, what reason it was that I totally blew it. And there was a point where you just come to it and you go, I just got to own this. And I had to stand up and take my bow, okay? Can I tell you, that is essentially what is going to happen or what needs to happen before God. All of these things are laid out in front of him. And maybe he's laying them out in front of you right now. And all of these things are laid out, and maybe you're making excuses. But God, um, well, whatever. You know your excuses. I know mine. But God, I'm not, I didn't do that. I know. But you're not really bowing before the, the God that has the authority to cast into hell. You haven't carried that weight. And you bow before him and say, you're right. I did that. I own that. I'm guilty. That makes me a sinner. So, there's a couple of things with that. There's two groups of people here right now. Um, as I see it, there's the one group, I, I'm planted squarely in it. Um, I'm probably the president of it. So the group is this. Knowing what God wants and neglecting to do it. I've already been, I've, I've accepted God's um, uh, gift of salvation. But sometimes I treat that gift as that golden ticket where I can just live my life the way I want to live it until God takes me home. And I totally ignore all the work God wants to do in me and through me. And maybe you're part of this group too, where you've accepted what God's done for you, but you're not really listening to what he wants to do in you and the refining that he wants to do in you. He's asking you to give something up, to forgive someone, to do something and you won't. I do it all the time. And there just comes a time when you bow before the throne of God and go, you know what, God? I am who you say I am. I'm with you. The other group of people, and this is where I want to end, um, the other group of people are people that, that's all new, old, you know, they've, they've never heard that before. And you come before the throne of God for the first time and recognize, 
oh my goodness, I am a sinner. Oh my goodness, I really have blown it. Can I tell you what the gospel is? The gospel is something about the cross where Jesus came and died for sinners. Now, 1 Peter 3.18 says, Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sins to bring you back safely with him. Here's some realities. We are all going to have to answer for what we've done. That's a reality. The other reality is there ain't a single one of us that is going to get there, get to heaven on our own works and everything we've done. The reality is anybody going to heaven is because of what God did on the cross. And it's just a matter of bowing before the cross and acknowledging who you are. Can we just pray?